This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Could I be known as Paul Muad'Dib? <laughs> Hi, I'm Marissa. I'm Brian. And we're going to talk about Dune, the appendices. <laughs> this is the appendix show. Uh, everything subsequent to the f- last book of the first book of Dune. Uh, is this a, a world first? Uh, yeah, I was, I was thinking about that. Um, we we did three, no, six shows on the Lord of the Rings. But we also did one just on, um, uh, who's the... Who's the uh, guy missing from the Lord of the Rings movies? He, he should be played by Tom Baker. Oh, you mean Tom, Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil. There we go. Tim like Benz- a- What'd you say, Brian? Tim Benzedrine. Tim Benzedrine? <laughs> Benzedrine. <laughs> oh, so you've done an appendices show before? Well, uh, we actually did that one first, so I don't know. I mean, no, we haven't really done an appendices show be- before, but most science fiction books don't have appendices. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking that the only one that I really know for sure does is Lord of the Rings. Um, and then there's Dune. And I'm sure there are others. I've, I've seen them in others. Probably like Footfall by Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell or something has some appendix at the backs, right? I, I don't recall, no. Because we would have talked about it when we did that yeah. as a show. Or maybe, uh, you know, one of the uh, Ringworld um, books or something. But uh, it's unusual. I mean, I, I, it's 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 unusual. I mean, how Clement really started the whole idea with Mission of Gravity, where he describes the how he constructed the uh, the solar system and the unusual planet. And it, well, the, reading reading these appendices, uh, the first one is called the Ecology of Dune, um, where basically it's just more fiction. It's not. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's really just. It's the Silmarillion of this, right? It's just more fiction uh, for the background of the story that he didn't somehow include. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's written not in a in a fictional non-fictional manner, as I like to call this up. It's written it's written in a story format, which is which almost makes me feel like it's not really like part of the appendices. It's really just like outtakes from the world building rather than actual. I think that that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, I really, I worked hard on this. Wait, didn't, um, isn't there a science fiction book like, uh, that's got a massive appendices from, I don't know, uh, Neil Stephenson, uh, and starts with an A. Oh, Anathem. Yeah. Anathem. Yeah. Doesn't that have a big appendix at the back? Like, I don't have my copy handy. It's, um, it's but, but, but it's a, but a, it's a glossary and appendix. Right. Well, what makes what makes okay? So let's go to the definition. What makes an appendix appendix to a novel an appendix? I I think I think it's when you have non-fictional matter that explains and develops a world. Um, there was a novel I recently read. It's uh, Christopher Dostoevsky's Empire Silence. I didn't like it that much because the novel really, really, really wants to be Dune. Because mm. I mean, I, I mean, you. Can, I, I did a review, and I just not just marked off 
down the line how all the elements either are exact copies of the Dune universe or are just slight variations on it. And the end of the book is full of appendices. I like that part the best because I was really annoyed with the world building, the actual story, but <laughs> no, no, seriously. No, I'm um, um, seriously. I mean, if you have a space empire where it takes 30 years to get anywhere, you don't have a space empire. That just does not work. Yeah, it's not much of an empire. I mean, uh, crossing no. the ocean to Canada from England takes a couple weeks at most, right? Uh, month, you can operate sense. a colony that way. It's very hard to claim, you know, claim you have an empire if you if you can't get to it within a couple of months. Yeah, yeah, and and, and this empire's been around for thousands of years, kind of like Dune. It's like no, I mean, just one. I mean, dukes all over this this place would just be declaring themselves independent. What the hell can Empire do? It take them years to do anything. <laughs> no, no, this this book really, really pissed me off because I thought, hey, this could be a new modern Dune. This could be an interesting, and the world building just pissed me off. But but it follows that Dune pattern of at the end of having having these appendices, having this additional matter to try to flesh out the world. Uh, I I would say that if you look through the the glossary, which is not the official appendix here at the back of uh, Dune. It's not list. It's not in the audiobook. You know that'd be kind of a weird sequence where they just start with A B A loose robe, Abba loose robe <laughs> worn by Fremen women, usually black. Um, why did he write this? I'm thinking because it is all world building, and he found it like I'm gonna make a bunch of bunch of stuff. It's all gonna be etymologically logical. I'm going to build up a, a bunch of characters. Um, I'm going to give them well, all of this stuff. And then, in addition to it all being in useful in the book, it's interesting enough in his creation of it that he thinks to include it. Right. And don't forget, I think we talked about this on another episode, that didn't he write Dune about Kynes to start with? It was originally mm-hmm. Yeah, because he was doing it all- an article, yeah, because he was doing an article about the, the the sand dunes in Oregon, and that just turned into back matter for actually okay. making this world. So yeah, so Kynes kind of came first. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think he did actually write a story about Kynes first, and then later came up with the Paul story. So he's it's probably more like his it's like his babies, you know, like he just yeah. couldn't let this go. He had to like it didn't quite fit into the new version, but he had to put it in the end, and it, it was good. Yeah, and and just doing all that that work. Is is the thought put into it, right? So I I, I see this not as um, something everybody should do. Uh, you know, you need to add an appendix because I think uh, that's ridiculous. But yeah. I think it makes sense for everybody to uh, put in as much work as you would want in an appendix if you want to make your work as interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not set in our world, right, with the uh, uh, current politicians or current streets or current technology, you better do goddamn good work or I don't really want to read your book. Um, yeah. and, and that's exactly, that's why this book feels so great is because it's so, so fully thought through and where the, where the seams are, it's as smooth as the desert sands, right? It's just beautiful. You can't mm-hmm. see how it's all been stitched together because it flows organically. It's yeah. interesting. Just as a as as a 
if I can take a skeptical point of view, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. one is that it's all at the end. And you think by the time you get there, it's past the point when you need it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's always fun. I mean, I remember reading the uh, American edition of Clockwork Orange, not the British. There's actually a big difference. The American edition loses the last chapter. Mm-hmm. Really. But the American adds an appendix, uh, which is a glossary of the slang. And it's pretty funny because by that point, you've got it. There's Burgess is great about making it work, so you don't really need it. And so you get to the end of Dune, and you know half of the stuff you've already you've already figured out. You know, it's it's a it's a weird kind of supplement. You, know, you don't need the map because you haven't been lost at any point. Yeah, I mean, the map adds stuff, but you you know it's so it's it's a strange kind of thing, a kind of weird purposes. The the second thing is. This is, uh, if we can go back to frequent SFF audio guest Eric Rabkin, uh, one of the ways that science fiction works is by what he calls transformed language. Mm-hmm. You get this introduction of new or repurposed vocabulary. And I think having the appendix kind of takes the power out of that away. You know, when you when you see the word lasgun, mm-hmm. you know, what is, what is that? Well, it must be something new. But then you get, oh, it's a laser gun that does well. well. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. It's like the appendix is... Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a demystifier. It is a demystifier. It takes the power out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I can't say that I've sat down and read it backward, you know, forward. At least the uh, the um, terminology of the Imperium. We've got words. Uh, what's, what's so funny is there's lots of words that never appear in the actual text of the book, right? So, like demi brother. Uh, if that's in there, it's fine. But I don't need that defined for me. But he he was thinking about okay this if I'm gonna have this society they have to be like this and you know but cone of silence is listed in here and I know that from get smart that's not a uh, I don't think that that's in this book anywhere I don't remember anybody using a cone of silence um, yeah it's a kind of uh, it's it's a kind of superfluousness it's like a, it sort of points back to the book but then it also points forward to other stuff that we haven't seen. And yeah, and Chris is the pl- the playground of the imagination of the of the universe. I mean, mo- most of the stuff you already cut from context, and the stuff that's you don't know, you just haven't uh, actually encountered. But it's actually all part of that world that he built. Like, why why do we need to know uh, pot, the word pions? Planet bound peasants or laborers, one of the base classes under the foul fresh's legal rewards of the planet. What? In the context of reading the original Doom book, it means absolutely it's absolutely useless, but it gives a richness to the evolved. He language put it into of, the book. He just didn't use the word right. That right. That doesn't show up in the as far as I know. That's not in the the text. I don't remember that. Yeah, word I, at all. I I couldn't find it. Um, and uh, the thing is, is uh, I mean, th- this is really not the reason we're doing the show, right? Um, <laughs> it's not yeah. because it has three appendices. It's because Dune lives beyond the book, beyond the last chapter, and that's important. Now, uh, I've been claiming that there is only one Dune movie, and no one need ever watch another. Um, and well, there, uh, well, there is only one Dune. Well, in the in technical word of a movie, only one movie has been made. There was a movie that wasn't made, and then there's a miniseries. Whatever right. miniseries is is a movie you know it doesn't really matter to me what i'm saying is those later sci-fi channel ones need not be looked at however uh, um despite what i was 
telling you guys, I did look at the first few minutes of the old one because I hadn't seen it since it aired in 2000 or whatever. Yeah. And it's fucking terrible. It's fucking I, terrible I, because <laughs> what they did was they said, oh, that Dune movie from 1984, that was really cool. Let's do it. And it's like, and then they said, oh, yeah, there wasn't a book, too? And then they sort of add shit from the book. But they have a heart plugs. <laughs> they have they've just stolen stuff from the Whoa. from the previous movie and I'm like pretty sure there's no heart plugs in in the original Dune book so um, it has a life this book what Frank Herbert created has a life much greater than the final uh, word of the last sentence of the last uh, book of Dune it lives on and the, the you know whole uh, Piles of money have been made selling yep. those uh, Dune sequels by other hands. Not to mention Star Wars. <laughs> well, that's the thing is 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 I was thinking about how different the the original Lynch movie is from Star Wars, and uh, one of the reasons I have I think we really had to do this appendix show is for my spirited defense of the weirding modules. <laughs> Before you go away from the the Dune movie that you don't like, there is one thing that that miniseries does that the David Lynch movie does not capture, and which is mostly important for the subsequent books and and uh, media is that the 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 David Lynch Dune movie does not really capture the relationship Paul has with Duncan Idaho in that movie. The, the relationship is all Paul and Gurney Halleck, which is fine because it's pa- Gurney Halleck is Patrick Stewart. That makes perfect sense. The guy who plays Duncan Hido- Idaho in the Dune movie is a cipher, whereas in the miniseries, they actually try to build a relationship there, which becomes important in the subsequent Dune books where Duncan Hido gets resurrected as a Gola. I mm-hmm. mean, if you watch the David Lynch movie and then tried to read the subsequent books, you'd wonder, well, why does Paul care about Duncan Idaho? He wasn't anybody in the movie. He's in Whereas there. this miniseries actually tries hard to actually build that relationship and make make it actually important, so that when he does show up again in the subsequent books, there's actually a reason why Paul would actually give a damn. Well, I I will point to the fact that uh, the the Dune miniseries also has something uh, that some people probably think is necessary. They obviously thought it necessary to put it in the film, which is whiny Paul. Uh, literally, he's <laughs> dripping with sarcasm throughout the opening scenes, saying, "I just want to see my dad." And then, uh, and literally, his mom comes into the room, literally comes into the room, and she says, uh, "Paul, we don't need your sarcasm." Literally says that, and I'm like, "This is the opposite of what Paul is like. Paul is yeah. the receiver of a long tradition. There is not a wit." sentence hint of sarcasm in the entire novel unless you sort of only turn at the uh, Harkonnens and saying well everything he says is sarcastic right Uh, Uh, that's the only way you could possibly think that you know Herbert has sarcasm in Dune because it's the opposite these are very uh, it's like they're not joking around about anything I'm not saying that the Dune miniseries is good. It has it has lots of weaknesses, and you just pointed to one of many of them. But it, it I mean, it, it does. It and unfortunately, 
while um, John Hurt is an excellent actor, he's absolutely worthless as Leto Atreides in the miniseries. It's not, he's it's not William George. Hurt, John John Hurt. William Hurt, William not John Hurt. Yes, William Hurt. Thank you. Uh, William Hurt is absolutely useless as Leto yeah. as Duke Leto. But I'll give the, I'll give the miniseries a few things. Uh, one is that they uh, cast people from different nations yeah. to represent different planets and peoples. And that was, and it was surprising that they made the Fremen all Central European rather than Arabic. And that, I thought that was effective. Uh, the second was that they gave it time, you know, for a long, rich book. They actually gave it three episodes. Uh, and the third was they had weird bits of creativity, uh, like ending some scenes with a rhyming couplet. That just charmed me. I was surprised. Um, but you know, other than that, it was, uh, it was a kind of misfire. Oh, uh, it's terrible. The, the I, 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 one is the one that I dream of. I mean, that's still the, the stupendous could have been, you know, Pink Floyd doing the soundtrack, Salvador Dali as the emperor. That, that would have been interesting. That part. Yeah. I mean, Oh my God. What a, you know, and Yadorowski, who is just this insane, great director. I mean, what a, what a fantastic fantasy dream of a of a movie that could have been. Did you did you watch that documentary, Paul and Marissa? I, I did. I, I, did. I, 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 I was unfortunately put off because sadly, here's here's the bad thing of getting bootleg documentaries from you. Huh. A, a, lo- a lot of it was in other languages I could understand when they were when they switched to Spanish. Or oh, French. it didn't have subtitles. So. No. Oh. It's just like what that I I can't understand what the yeah, guy saying. The version I watched had subtitles, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm old enough that I I remember the story as it happened. Right. Um, that's that's so I, early early seventies. Yeah, I mean just stories and stories about this, and so it was great to have it in a box. You know, to have one uh, set up. I yeah, I I was. Entranced by the idea, they explain in the end just how much the failed attempt influenced so many other movies. And they're showing, oh, look at how this visual matches his book and how this visual was stolen here. And it's how a lot of Hollywood movies over 15 years after the failed attempt were influenced by the Dune that never was. It's mm, cool. Yeah, I think that's I think. I think that's that's true. I mean, one thing is that keep you know Yadorowski is not an American, and Hollywood loves to pilfer from foreign films um, without credit if they can help. It. And here they <laughs> they pilfer from a film that wasn't actually didn't actually happen. Yeah, well, I mean, they they I mean Hollywood does that a lot. That's why you often have um, movies that come out in pairs um, from two different studios because they're imitating what what somebody else in is Deep doing. Deep Impact and uh, the other Pretty one. Good, yeah. I'm again, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or piece of crap, as I think of it. But the, um, you know, they, I mean, Hollywood imitates. Deep Impact frantic- is good, actually. It's it's the other one that's bad. Yeah. Armageddon is a, a music video, but Deep no, Impact I, I, has has uh, some tropes. That that's an actual covered. story. Yeah, we, we, I think the yeah. other, I think the Adorowski story is is fascinating for a lot of reasons because it ties into stuff from from the book. I don't just mean as a direct adaptation, but just thinking about it. Uh, I mean, for example, it's psychedelic. I mean, that was a key thing. I mean, you've got you know, Yadorowski, this comes to him in a dream, and he wants to imagine you know, using drugs to expand consciousness. And so that's, 
again, you know, a '60s novel and a and a '70s novel. You know, you get that you get that sense. So that's that's pretty nifty. The the ecological sense too, uh, which is kind of missing from the. I mean, one of the problems of the Lynch movie is that the ecological part doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, at the end, you get the the you know, Arrakis turning you know blue, and it, it's kind of like what? Oh, okay. I mean, it, um, yeah, it's magic. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, the, but, so that's not in the book. Obviously, the rain at the end—that's right. not in the book. But well, the, uh, what it is, it's the reward for the ritual sacrifice of Sting. If you're going to have to, <laughs> has no role and you kill him, you know, look what you did. I mean, that's a... Uh, um, you killed Joe Sting in the rain? No, I, I, I saw the... I, I think I think the Adorowski has and all, all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, you get the galactic setting of it. Um, and uh, I, I think... And also the mythical part where, you know, Herbert is, is playing with myth, as we've spoken before, in all kinds of complex ways. Um, so I, I, I think in many ways that that's my, my favorite adaptation. <laughs> the one that never was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I have to say though, between Lynch and Yodorowsky, these are two of my favorite directors. I mean, I've seen, if you, have you seen any other Yodorowsky movies, you guys? No. I can't remember. Uh, uh, are, are, are any of you Beatles fans? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, there's a connection here. Uh, Yadorowski got famous in the 60s for a movie called El Topo, oh, yes. uh, which is a psychedelic Western. It's it's kind of hard to describe. I mean, no visible budget at any point. Um, the director is the star. His son is a character. Um, and it's it's trippy. I mean, it's a perfect mid-60s you know, psychedelic movie. On the um, horse through the desert with no name, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and Beatles, it became a big underground hit. And the Beatles saw it, thought it was fantastic. They were really rich, so they threw money at him and said, "Make whatever you want, man. Here's a you know millions of dollars." And so he made one of the most criminally insane, bonkers movies of all time, uh, called The Holy Mountain, which is impossible to describe. Uh, it makes Zardoz look like an after-school special. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's kind of about a quest for mystical truth and religion, but it, oh, it's, it has everything and every excess of the 1960s is in it at once. Um, and the at last shot, I can spoil it for you because there's no real plot to spoil, uh, is the, the mystical master and his surviving disciples have figured out the truth of religion and the universe. And the, the, the master looks right at you and says, camera, pull back. And the camera pulls back, and it pulls back to the set, and you see the you know the entire stage set of the entire movie, and it pulls back to the credits. It's it's incredibly bonkers. You you got to watch it with some substance, you know, uh, just to make sense of it. Um, so I, I, I but then the the actual my favorite movie of his that actually works as a sane movie is uh, Santa Sangra, uh, which is about a boy growing up in the movie. Excuse me, in the circus, and. Um, it has horrific and surreal stuff in it, but it's a it's a haunting movie. I mean, it comes really close to horror. It's definitely fantasy, um, but it's it's a it's a really fine movie. So, in, in short, so not to not to derail the conversation completely. I mean, I think this is the kind of guy who is just born to direct something like Dune. Now, Lynch, on the other hand, is the wrong director. He's one of the great directors of all time, but he's the anti-epic. He's the guy who makes claustrophobic small set bits of uncanny perfection um so dune i think 
was way out of his wheelhouse. Well, okay, so uh, I think the Dune 1984 film is perhaps the greatest science fiction film ever made. And the reason I think that's true is it does something incredibly ambitious, which is try to turn the three books of the first book of Dune into a movie. Um, it's the version I saw last night is not the preferred version. I like the Alan Smithy version, uh, the one that's been you know hacked together from a bunch of uh, longer bits that you know got leaked on the internet or whatever. It was before the internet. There's a Japanese laserdisc version that is I want to say five hours long, but that's a bit. Uh, you know, it just has more stuff. It has more scenes. Wow. And what's cool about Dune, the film, is they read the the book and they said, we got a lot of characters, guys. We got a lot of info dumping to do. We got all sorts of stuff we need to get in here to get the story into a film. And if you think about all the things that happen in just the first book, that's more than enough for a season of a television show. And yeah. if you look at the number of actors in the Dune film, I'm just going to go through the list here, and you'll see all of these characters have speaking parts, right? Uh, Francesca, Francesca Annis, that's uh, Paul's mom. Mm. Uh, Leonardo Semino. He's not mentioned in the book. However, he's necessary to give the Baron character. He's the Baron's doctor. Yeah, he's the one that's like cooing over the Baron's skin yes. disease. Yes, oh, your, your disease is my Baron. Oh, they make <laughs> love to me. Um, B- Brad Dourif, who plays mm-hmm. um, uh, the mm-hmm. Mentat. Yeah. Um, and I love his performance in this because he's terrible, but he's also, uh, he, he treats everyone like an idiot. Um, and so when he dies, we're really happy. Um, well, he is a mentat. He is supposed to be the smartest person yeah, in the room. Yeah, but his way of performing that is is just to like treat everybody like a fucking idiot. So he's using hand signals and pointing. Like it's pretty funny. Jose Ferrer, come on, Jesus Christ! There's a great actor playing the emperor. Uh, you know, Salvador Dali might have done it better, but. Yes. That's a yes. that's a huge role. Linda Hunt as the Shadout Mapes, uh, Freddie Jones as uh, Thufer, uh, Richard right, Jordan. With, 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 you forgot you forgot uh, his co-star Freddie Jones's eyebrows. Oh, his co-stars, <laughs> yes, plural. Um, and uh, see that that's the kind of detail. Like, there's nothing about eyebrows in the book. But the 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 fact that the juice of Safu makes your eyebrows grow uh, super hairy as long as staining your lips red, that is um, that is the kind of detail that I am loving, loving because it's all visualization that you could do in your own head without, but needs to be done for film. Um, instead of getting, you know, like, you all seen, uh, sorry, go, go for it, Brian. Just speaking of eyebrows, sidebar, have you all seen The Death of Stalin? Uh, no, not yet. No, no. It's terrific. It's it's funny as hell, and it's extremely scary. I mean, it's a really amazing balance of a movie. And among other things, they have no Russian accents, so it's all American English actors. But at the very, very end, 
You have Khrushchev, who has now taken power, played by Steve Buscemi, and it works. Um, and he's sitting there, like, in power, and he's very happy. And the camera pulls back, and you get this voiceover saying, but then he'd run into problems himself. And you cut to a guy sitting behind him. Big right. But, but there's no subtitle. He has no speaking role. He's not identified. But you see the eyebrows, and you go, ah, that's Brezhnev. I yeah. mean, it's perfect. Um <laughs> Okay, eyebrows are important. I, I, I'm not finished this list. Listen, uh, Richard yeah. Jordan, who is uh, the actor who plays Duncan Idaho, gets short shrift. It's true. Um, everybody gets short shrift in this film. They have to because they're trying to make the movie and they're trying to make it into a film, which is generally under three hours long. And this one is slightly under three hours long. We keep going. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin. Yes, his cheeks are too full. He's too old. <laughs> Uh, but he's terrific as a uh, a blank slate on which people can put their uh, themselves. Uh, this works in dreams. Yeah. So many films that Lynch casts him in. Um, you know, Blue Velvet is a great example. But um, he there's a great film by him that everybody should watch. I think it's terrific. Called The Trigger Effect. Not by him. With him starring. Um, He's just a husband, and the power goes out on the street, and uh, it doesn't come back on, and the society starts falling apart, and they're wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's a Twilight Zone episode. It is, but it's also a movie called uh, The Trigger Effect, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, the film. monsters are doing Maple Street. Thank you. Yeah, thank except you, this is, you know, this is just sociological. It's not. There's no. Uh, there's nothing. Um, it it's it's worth worthy of seeing. It's better than the monsters are do on Maple Street. Anyways, what? what? Yeah, I know. Uh, I think it's terrific. It's it's very uh, you know not a lot of other people go around claiming that, but I think it, it it's just uh, very uh, present for its time and it's very modern for our time. Um. Anyways, Virginia Madsen gets like zero, two words in the whole movie. The beginning, she says "father" uh, to the emperor, and she's the narrator, right? Uh, yeah. Princess Irulan. Uh We keep going. We've got uh, Silvana Mangano. Mangano. She's the uh, Reverend Mother on Dune when uh, Jessica replaces her. And she loses her eyebrows, right? All the Reverend Mothers lose their eyebrows. <laughs> they shave them, yeah. Yeah, or they cover them up. Uh, but yeah, and their heads, they lose their head hair. Um, Everett McGill as Stilgar? Fuck, he's great. You've you seen uh, um, Twin Peaks, right? Yeah. This is I, I love the fact that all these Twin Peaks actors show up <laughs> in but this old movie. You got that reverse, though. I you know. Twin Peaks is a Dune reunion. I know, but like uh, you just like see it as like, holy crap, the sheriff's now uh, Stilgar. Okay. <laughs> uh, we get Jack Nance, another character from uh, Lynch, uh, Lynch's Twin Peaks. He's um, Nafud. I don't think he's ever mentioned by name in the film. He's not, but, but yeah, he's he, there he, and he's he, playing his music. They even got his music in there. Do you remember that? Yeah. When when Sting's having a, sh- a hot steam shower and the Baron's <laughs> swinging around, the food's playing his horrible music. It's it, they're shoving so much into this film. It's unbelievable, 
and Sean it's Phillips. It's kind of crazy that it works somehow. It totally works. And Jürgen Prochnow, who could be a better emperor, uh, not emperor, duke, than Jürgen Prochnow? I mean, in uh, literally Perfect like four himself. scenes, he gives us all the gravitas. That William Hurt does not, yes. <sighs> yeah, I mean, William Hurt's okay and stuff. I, I like him in... You know, yeah, I like him in other stuff, yeah. but he's horrible in the Dune miniseries. He's he said he said we need you to do uh, your your best Jurgen Prognow, and he he's not great at a Jurgen Prognow impersonation. Um, Patrick fucking Stewart's in here as I think his defining career role. Maybe other people disagree with his um, Star Trek yeah, stuff and stuff, I, but come on, he's got a battle pug. Did you see that scene? I, I tweeted it. <laughs> the pugs is okay. <laughs> Again, the pugs not mentioned in the book. There are dogs mentioned. Yeah. Dogs exist in the Dune universe. Um, but it, did sting. You say, did you call it a battle pug? Yeah, they're you know right. He 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 grabs. They've got these um, the Atreides weapons before the uh, weirding modules are. I think they're RPG launchers. Uh, they're. Um, a rocket-propelled grenade launcher. So he's holding a rocket-propelled grenade launcher in one hand, and he's got a pug in the other. The, I thought he it, was rescuing that pug. Yeah, he is. Uh, but then he yeah, says, yeah, okay. Long live Duke Leto! And runs and he, into yeah. battle. <laughs> it's a battle pug. It's a whole meme tweet thing on the internet. Um, the, the pug shows up in like four or five scenes, right? Just when they're climbing out, out of the... When they're first landing on Arrakis... Why is I like that, that too because Arrakis, um, you know, they. I think it's mentioned in the um, appendices that there's no pets or anything there, so it's cool that they like these people who have no idea about that world like turn up with their pugs. <laughs> yeah, uh, we assume the it's pug like dies, the British, right? Yeah, it'd be like as if uh, Queen Elizabeth showed up on Doom with. Literally, with the that's exactly what it is. They're the corgis, right? This yeah. is this is the kind of detail that Lynch added. Right, he worked on that script for six months, and if you look at how good that script is, it's fucking amazing. It's fucking amazing because there's so much in it, and it works, but it's also jammed. It's so full, and the the cool thing is, it works really well if you know the story and you get all these little treats and Easter eggs and stuff. But it also works if you haven't read the book because I watched it with my husband. Um, last night or whatever, the night before. And I don't think I've seen him that into a movie before, and he hasn't read the book, and he knows nothing about the Dune universe. And he was super into it, apart from... That's how never understood I came what to it. I never read Dune until after I watched the movie. Oh, that's And it cool. was... I but, said, this book, this movie is amazing. How come everybody yeah. isn't watching this every night? <laughs> <laughs> about my, my husband kept on being like, well, what's with the fish guys? Like, he didn't understand the fish guys turning up in their big tanks. Right. <laughs> like, the guild. They even do that. They <laughs> even rip that off in the miniseries. They, the oh, third really? stage guild navigators are... N- there's no mention of them having, you know been mutated into giant you know slug people um and you know the guy with the hose coming out of the top of his skull going into his nose and you know none of that none of that is in the book the guild navigators aren't even on screen right at all and he does so much he did to distinguish like sardaukar terror troops in in the book are just guys right dressed in harkonnen uniforms but when you see them in the film, they 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 have like a suit that's like 
got its own atmosphere inside of it too, because they're so different, right? It, visually, what is happening in the film is doing all the dis- distinguishing marks so that a person who has never read the book can appreciate the story. Because really, I mean, the world, yeah. Wellington Yui, his name is, uh, if you look at the original illustrations, he's supposed to be uh, Asian, right? He's one of the few uh, called out as a specific, you know, his last name's Yui and the fact that he's... he's um, depicted in the illustrations as Asian. That's one of the few things. So what they do in the... Uh, Brian, you point out in the miniseries, I think it was you, uh, that they uh, they do international casting. Well, that, again, is just stolen right out of the Lynch film. What do they do to the Harkonnens? They make them all red-haired, right? It's not just Sting. It's every every little grunt is red-haired. They're all gingers, right? Yep, yep. The put the poor kid that the Duke kills. The the whole lot of with the heart right. plug and the uh, like. That, there's a, there's a horrible sex scene right there, right? It's it, it, the the heart plug is the symbol for that kind of perversion and that kind of whole treatment of of how that's what makes this film so fucking amazing is that it is the novel in a real real sense. But what what about the cat though? <laughs> what is what is the cat's job in the film? It's to show that Thufer has been controlled, right? So that whole scene sequence that happens in the book is uh, Thufer and uh, well, it's the Baron talking to his mentat saying, um, "We're going to uh, put shit in his food so that when he if he ever tries to escape, he'll die," right? And they don't tell him. But that scene can't be in. But we also need to understand why Thufer would be on their side. And they have to cut stuff, right? They had to cut stuff. They had to shorten things. There's whole scenes added, like the whole uh, Emperor scene at the beginning of the film. There's a number of scenes added at the beginning of the film that just aren't there so we get backstory. That's why the the film is so weird, is because they are trying to legit put the book into the film. It's not like... Let's cut. Let's cut 99% of it and just have the battle sequences. They're trying to make this novel, and I, I, I can't agree. see anybody not loving the fact that this really almost is the book. But I want to. I want to come back to what Marissa said because this is this is crucial for me, and I keep running into this. People who have not read the book who see this movie, they think it's awesome. You know, they get blown away by it because it's so interesting, it's so strange, and it's also so accessible. You know, yes. you can just sit down and watch it. It grabs you. Um, it's the people who've read the book who tend first who tend to be dismayed by it. Uh, and so, I mean, I think that's one purpose of the movie is that it's, it's good propaganda for the book. Great propaganda for the book, yeah. But I, 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 I agree with what you say about the visuals. That's, that's, that's interesting. And that's Lynch drawing on the tradition of epic film. I mean, you look at, say, uh, Kurosawa, or you look at Kubrick's um, uh, Spartacus, you know, and other examples, and they have that that visual code so that you can keep track of what's going on on the screen. I mean, even in um, Peter Jackson's kind of lamentable Hobbit movies, at the end when you have the Battle of Five Armies, they're all clearly visually distinguished. Um, same thing in the Fellowship of, of the Lord of the Rings movies, where they went to great pains to have that visual distinction. I, I think that works in in Lynch's Dune movie. But I think the other thing that's that's so important 
for its success and also for its failure is that he's a weird director for this. I mean, the scenes that people remember from the movie tend to be the scenes that are David Lynch scenes. I mean, they're small. They take place in a room. Mm -hmm. They've got really deeply surreal. And it's the same thing that succeeds for Lynch's other movies. I mean, you think about, well, every other scene in Blue Velvet, you think about the surreal bits and Twin Peaks. Um, I mean, even when Lynch parodies himself in, um, oh, what's the movie, the G-rated movie about the guy going across the country in a lawnmower? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Perfect the, story. the Straight Story. The Straight, straight story. story, yeah. There's this, there's this great bit where there's two characters lying on a lawn at night. You look up into the sky and you see these shadows and you hear this really weird noise. I mean, it's like this industrial noise, like something out of a racer head. And... And you think, oh, I'm, I'm watching. Finally, a David Lynch moment. You cut back to the people in the grass. Like, What's that noise? Oh, it's the grain elevator. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice little parody. And that's what you see in the in the Lynch movies, uh, in the Lynch in the Lynch Dune. And I think he's great for that. Um, I think the problem is is when the biggest problem is that he can't do epic. That's just not what he does. I mean, if you look at something like Inland Empire, or if you look at uh, uh, Twin Peaks to the degree that he shaped it. Um, these are, these are chamber pieces and that's what, I mean, have you all seen that bit from Mulholland Drive? It's like a three minute bit about the guy who has a nightmare. No. I I, I, I've seen Mulholland Drive. So refresh my memory on which bit he's talking about. You you can find this on YouTube and I think it's almost a perfect horror film in three minutes. Mm. It's, it's, oh, is it the guy with the box? No. It's, it's 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 they're in a they're in a restaurant a chain oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think yeah and, yeah because that does tie with the guy with the with the gut, the box in the back of the uh, the alley he's talking about so you mean the, uh, the the big disposal thing yeah um, yeah one guy tells the other about a dream he had and how it scares yeah. him and right. the other guy doesn't quite appreciate this and then he does and they decide to go for a walk to take care of the dream I don't I don't want to spoil it for you it's literally like three minutes long yeah. No special. It's yeah, that, uh, a very almost, strange scene. It's it's perfect, but again, it's it's really it's almost claustrophobic. It's two people sitting at a table and they go for a walk at Winkies. So, Winkies, yeah, yeah. I mean, and in Dune, that that's what you get. You get the the scene of the guild navigator confronting the emperor. So you have most of those two guys plus the one with you know the the fellow with the thing out of his head, and then you cut to the um, Reverend Mother in the next room. And that really works. The scenes with the Baron, you know, the floating fat man. I mean, those are, again, like one room. But when you try to do the battle scenes, the battle scenes don't work. They're, there's, no, there's no reach to them. The, the sense of, um, of, of scale doesn't work. Because, again, that's not, that's not what Lynch does. He's never done that before. He's never done that since. And for me, that's a big weakness in the movie. Mm, yeah, yeah I, 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 I don't... I guess the, I don't think that the battle scenes are stunning, <laughs> but then again, I don't usually watch movies for bat. Like I'm thinking, like I lot of I love war movies. I've seen pretty much every World War II movie ever made, and uh, there's not that many World War One movies, but I've seen pretty much all of those Vietnam movies, all of them. I don't really watch them for for the battle sequences, but I agree, he's not. That's not his specialty. Uh, but I do see all the scenes of pageantry. So when the when the the when they first land on Arrakis, the sense of scale, the sense of uh, you know the heat, the heat waves in front of this, 
you know, the desert. Uh, we're far away, zoomed in. We can see the the ships there, and they're they're climbing down in their uh, fatigues that are you know desert colored with their pug in hand. Um, all of that stuff, I think, gives a sense of scale that the book can't. Right? Sorry, Books are not great at that sort of visualization. But I didn't, I didn't feel it, and it may be because I know about the production history, which is Dino De Laurentiis, mm-hmm. and he's famously cheap, and the um, the ability to take cheap and make it epic is a rare skill. Um, you know, if you want, watch the um, making of for the uh, Lord of the Rings, and uh, time and again, Peter Jackson shows these things that cost no money and had great impact in showing scale mm-hmm. or weird, I mean, just really really clever stuff but I, I when I was watching this the first time when it came out I thought I was watching people on stage and that's all I saw there are, there are things in it that like feel rushed for sure and but I, I think the worms are fabulous I, I thought their sense of scale is is yeah. way better than anything I've seen um, that's digitized you know and they're they're much better than the ones in the non-existent miniseries um he is cheap but uh millie uh, not millius um laurentis uh i'm thinking of john millius because he did conan the barbarian this is a film that it doesn't you know does a lot with a medium-sized budget this is not it's a universal film right but they're competing with star wars star wars is the thing that sets the the thing right the, the first three star wars movies had been out by the time this film comes out and um, one of the actresses, I think she said, uh, they were making Star Wars for adults, for grown-ups, right? Um, and if if you think of the film as, we're going to, this is not Buck Rogers shit. This is Dune. This is not, oh, we're going to remake Buck Rogers as a serial and, and, and uh, it's going to have lots of action and adventure and so a bar full of aliens. The, all the aliens in here are human, right? Or were at one time. Um, except for the sandworms. Except for the sandworms. And the sandworms come across... I mean, there are issues with, you know, the transition between this, the sandworms size and the people size and riding the sandworms and all that stuff. But I don't get any sense of that in the book like I want to that shows up in, in the sense of just seeing the size of the sandworms. It's it's very interesting because they, they were planning on making three movies, right? Um, out of the, out of this is going to be the first movie, and it completely belly flopped. Uh, critics hated it, and I think it's what's funny. so funny is that people do, who who saw and loved it, like me, who went crazy for it, are way the minority. Right? Nobody, nobody really likes this movie. They they think of it as a punchline. Right? The massive. I mean, there there are some hilarious marketing materials. Like there was the Dune coloring book. Yeah. <laughs> the exit was is the post about it, the existential bleakness of, of the Dune coloring book because they're marketing a movie for adults to children. <laughs> it's like let's color the Baron's doctor. <laughs> it's like, dude, dude yeah, this must be for adults. Anyway, I got a, I got a more fundamental question though about which version because the the version I watched was the theatrical version. What? versions did people watch and what version should have i watched for this episode well uh the one i i sent uh was just the straight up david lynch version 
um, which is no, is, that the, is that is that incredibly the, abbreviated. It's 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 two uh, two hours and something long, right? Um, uh, trying to remember the yeah, exact yeah, yeah, it's like 136 minutes. Yeah, so it's not super su- I mean, that is, it's incredibly abbreviated. There's so many scenes that are just cut for time, right? Uh, no, because they're it, it, let's see. They're try, because they're trying to get that whole turnover of of screens, so you can't have a four hour Dune movie because you just can't show it as many times as a two and a half hour one yeah. in a day. Let's see. Let me see the. Uh, let's see if I can actually find actually you didn't send that send that one to me. So no, but I had I had it anyway. I oh had okay. DVD, so laser disc. I thought maybe I missed something. Uh, Japanese. Uh, Dune. Let's see if I can find the running time on this. There it is. Um, I did have this back in the day when laser discs were still running. Still- uh, running time. Uh, this is only 131 minutes. Maybe this is not the extended version. No, well, no, that's even shorter. So I, I think not. So there's a there is an official TV release. Um, um, which was uh, edited or released by Alan Smithy, right? Because um, Dune didn't do anything. Uh, right. He didn't. He didn't have anything well, to do with that cut, even though it was all fil- films. So the running time in theatrical version is 129 minutes. The running okay. time for the TV version is 176 minutes. So that's very long. And then. Um, that means there's almost a full hour. There's 51 minutes of material. So which one did you watch for this episode? Oh, I just watched the uh, the David Lynch version because oh, it's the abbreviated okay. version, and it has all the major stuff. There's very little that is. Um, this is this is what I was trying to get at. Like, what what did I miss in the TV version? What did you miss in the TV version? Um, that that, sh- that should have seen. Basically. All I don't think I've stuff, ever seen the TV version ever. Oh, you should because it's if you like the film, um, it's the same. If you like the book, it's the same. It's just an extended oh, I, version of I everything. Like the book. So Jesse. everything is longer, right? So it, it has everything, and then there's a, some additional material at the beginning that basically just is even more backstory for for uh, info dumping. Because I mean, think about how weird it is that this film has. Something I've never seen in film before, uh, which is a character is introduced, they look at somebody, they're thinking thoughts, and those thoughts are, are whispered while we're watching their face. My Duke, right? <laughs> How I failed you. <laughs> as, as they show him the cat he needs to milk. That is weird. What other movies do that? Some movies have narration. This one has that. But this also has thoughts being relayed in like word balloons, uh, bubbles above their heads, right? That is weird, man. Is that why your husband liked it, <laughs> Marissa? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's 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 literally weird. Like yeah, as in weird fiction, weird. it is strange. Nobody does that. And the reason they're it's doing that... It's kind of hypnotizing almost. It like the, is. It's the weirdness. But, th- but that's that's the book, right? That's straight out of the right. book. That whole banquet scene, which is almost unfilmable as a film, right? I mean, that's that's my dinner with Andre. The whole movie is just two guys having dinner, 
you can have a film that is just people having dinner. But a whole banquet scene, uh, that would be a whole episode. That's like uh, if you were going to turn Dune into a, a long-running HBO TV show, that's The Red Wedding, right? You could have a whole scene, a whole episode that's one scene like that. Have to cut that from the film because they're making a... A movie, two-hour movie, right? A two and but, a. But they do, they do, they do have it in the miniseries, but it's not done that great. No, everything about the miniseries is terrible because they no, watch the movies. Most things. What? What? Name one good thing about the miniseries, other than I, the I, Duncan I, I, Idaho I, I, thing, and still are. Yeah, so you get more Duncan Idaho, by the way, in the extended version. Oh, I, oh, okay. So, 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 that that goes back to my question before. Like, what, what am I missing out of, this, as the, out of the TV version? More Duncan Heidel. Maybe I'd be less inclined. Um, uh, you get you, although it's changed from the book, and that's fine. You get more Irulan in the in the TV series, right? Which which is important because she's more important in the in the subsequent novel. She actually is yeah. more of a character than than Virginia Madsen floating uh, as a disembodied head at the beginning of the movie and just standing yeah. around. I well, think that's a, nice and Lynchian too. I like that part. <laughs> she's one of the uh, she's one of the conspirators to uh, bring down Paul in Doom Messiah. Right, uh, right. The, so, so it's important to establish her in the original series as actually somebody who has some agency and actually some has ideas of her own rather than just being a narrator. I want to I want to come back to the to the uh, milking cat. <laughs> I want to come back to the eyebrows. And I want to come back to the heart plug for a second. Yep. Because these are all, and I want to come back to the goddamn weirding modules. Yes, we will come back to the goddamn weirding but, modules. I, 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 uh, the reason, the reason I'm mentioning this is because there's something I, I want to ask your thoughts about this. I mean, I'm thinking about all the other versions of Dune. Like there's a, um, there's a jazz album from the seventies, which is pretty cool. Um, there's the uh, board game, which has been turned into multiple games. In fact, uh, the first computer game version of it, people credit it with being possibly the first real-time strategy game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's very much like War- Warcraft, right? The original Warcraft game. Yeah. There's, um, and then the thing that just in, and really impresses me is the Dune Encyclopedia, which is possibly longer than the first book. Um, and it's dense. It is rich. It I, is. I, w- I wish I had a copy of that Dune Encyclopedia. I have. I have a copy of the new Dune Companion by Donald E. Palumbo, and it's nowhere near as large as the encyclopedia that I remember and don't have anymore. It's like seventy bucks on eBay. That's that's the thing. This isn't a um, this isn't a concordance. This is this is all creative stuff. Um, I mean, like they try. It's you know how when. Uh, uh, the TV show Game of Thrones shot past the books that existed mm-hmm. and was entered. Well, this, yep. this happened because this came out after the first four books were done and uh, before the fifth and sixth books. So it's this interesting imagination of where, where it could have gone beyond that. Um, but I, I'm just curious. I mean, how much... I don't think this is ordinary fan fiction. I, I think this, there's a huge generative power to Dune. Yes. That inspires people to do everything from this giant encyclopedia to freaking battle pugs. It's the to- Talmud, right? It's it's people taking the original stories or right. packaged stories and saying, "Oh my God," and and I'm, freaking out about how awesome everything is. I, I mean, we mock, we 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 we've denigrated them, especially Jesse. But I mean, the the Kevin J. Anderson and uh, and. Uh, uh, 
Brian Herbert, other June books really show just like how much of an appetite there is for people to go beyond those, this original June book and the original June books to expand out that universe. Um, uh, there's a market for it, it for sure. hundred percent. There's a market for it. Right. What, what do we, what do we, what's in this that, that inspires that? I mean, Marissa, when your husband watches this, the movie for the first time, I mean, what, what would hook him and make him say, gosh, I want to, I want to see more of this. I mean, is well, it there? See, the movie is different. And I don't even know if he would say that. Like, I think he was just like fully engaged for that whole weird trip you know of the movie yeah but i think the book is different because it does make i I feel like it's the world building that goes into the book that makes you it's like a real place you know like it's so detailed and it all works so you feel like the only way you can revisit it is to create more things within that world i understand that that makes a lot of sense um but i can uh I, I can read a historical novel that takes place in 10th century Byzantium and I love it and I'd be happy to spend decades there, but it, it has no appeal beyond me, basically. Um, what, what is it about this particular universe that, that wants us, makes us want to come back and not just revisit it, but add more stuff to it? Uh, my friend, my friend Steen, who does all the programming for my website and tons of other Thank you, Steve. Oh, he's a great guy. Thank you, Steve. Wonderful person, great guy, and super funny. Um, <laughs> he, he, um, he, uh, he, his spirit animal is the Baron, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so many people, and it's not the Baron from the book; it's the Baron from the movie. The Baron in the movie is like the id unleashed. Uh, in the book, he's he, sure he's he's a creepo. Um, but he doesn't laugh the way he laughs in the film and he doesn't enjoy the horror of his life the way he does in the movie. The, the Baron is such a fucking evil shit that you love that, you know, you gotta see the confrontation when it comes, right? And it's almost a, a letdown that a little Alia is the one to dispatch him. But it's also uh, appropriate. And the, just, you know, like the Lynchian details added in the film of uh, Raban walking by a couple of red-haired dwarves cutting up a cow. Um, and he rips part of the face off of the cow and starts chewing it as he walks to the Baron, and then the Baron says, I want you to go to the planet and squeeze! And he's squeezing his cheek. Squeezing his cheek and meat's falling out of his mouth, and and Raban gets one of his very few lines, which is, Yes, my Baron! As the food falls out of his mouth. (laughs) Oh my God! How Think of Darth Vader. Is that Darth Vader? Is he, uh, you know, like, this is, these are not, these are not, this is not a ripoff of Star Wars. This is what Star Wars wanted to be, right? It, except, except no. it's a failure. No, Star Wars. Star Wars wanted to be the 1930s. 30s. I well, I understand that, but like, <laughs> think of yeah. the the planet of you know Tatooine. Uh, we got some moisture evaporators. We got uh, some Bantha tracks. Uh, but. What the hell is anyone doing on Tatooine? 
Well, this is this is like the most the most generous approach you can take to Star Wars to say it's that weird science fantasy genre. Yeah, and that's the yeah. only way it's that you can say Buck Rogers. Yeah. It's Flash Rogers Gordon. More, more those had more science fiction. I think. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, none of them had Carrie Fisher back from the dead floating through space with magic oh. woo powers. No, uh, you know. Well, hey, now up. Uh, but but I, I but you 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 hit on you hit on it, Brian, as to why Dune is so potent and popular. And people want to explore it. Well, it's the same reason why people are so passionate about Star Wars. It's that fusion of science and fantasy together. Epic epic space opera meets epic fantasy in a chocolate and peanut butter mix. That if done right, people just want more and more and more of, and will fight passionately and arguably over if you ever change any of that or if you if you change the formula change the mix then people get really upset because that sort that sort of combination seems to go right to the deep heart of a lot of science fiction fans uh, it it does but I, I i think the comparison might even be simpler uh which is that the centerpiece of the dune novel um is paul the centerpiece yeah. Star Wars film, which I refuse to call New Hope, is uh, Luke Skywalker. And mm-hmm. in both cases, you've got the the romantic adventure that they go through. And I think for a lot of people, um, both women who have learned to identify with male characters and a lot of men who identify male characters, I think that's that's really amazing. Um, in the we haven't talked about this, the National Lampoon parody of Dune, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. I mean. Dune, the dessert world, the planet with no entrees. Um, <laughs> you, you have the the, the revved up mon, the revved up mothers of the bony Maroni, um, the hardy har har tarot commanders that shut up the fourth emperor. Um, it's it's insane. But the, there's this one part where Paul says he he, he wins a battle. And he says, "My God, I'm good. My God, I'm God." And, and that's the. <laughs> I, mean, I think that that power fantasy is immense yeah. for for movies. Um, and you get, you can go the, the goddamn Joseph Campbell thing of the monomyth, uh, yeah, a stupid monomyth. But I mean, for for Star Wars, I mean, that was they were doing that. That was the, that was deliberate. And I think for a lot of people, that that connection really works. Um, I think I think the other thing for Dune is um, it ties into, and I, I want to see how this plays out. It's such a period piece. It's so much about the 1960s. I really wonder if it's going to have staying power beyond that. I mean, you, you think it's a it's a novel about drugs, yep. right? So that's something which is sixties and seventies, and you never see before or since in science fiction. It's about ecology in ways that we don't think of ecology now. It's it's definitely in the spaceship Earth mode of you know how do you handle entire planetary ecosystem, and we're not sadly we're not there. Um, it's about um, uh, oil and scarcity in ways that we're not thinking of. Resource wars, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's there's one thing which I, I disagree with, but but you get the uh, the attitude towards uh, sexuality, the argument that there's a, a homophobic strain in it, which we've talked about before, but that obviously doesn't fly now. I mean, I, I, I wonder, is that all those, all those issues are so current at the time, are they going to last? Are they going to are they going to have power on, on Marissa's husband? Are they going to have power on, you know, my kids and, and the next generation beyond? I don't know. This, this is, this is why I know Jesse doesn't 
doesn't care about it. This is why I'm really interested in whether this new Doom movie will actually come about and how it will go. Because in this modern age, old, old, older works like Dune really only come back to public consciousness through adaptations. I mean, that's just the way the world works these days. I mean, people are not going to pick up a random Heinlein or Niven or Pornell novel and rediscover it unless there's a TV adaptation whereupon people start looking at it again. With so I'm really interested, and I actually do hope, even if, even if it's not good, even if it's terrible, I will want to see this new Doom movie come about, and I will watch it because it'll actually get us, get people to look at the original book again and see does it actually, as you say, Brian, does it actually work for today's society? Does it does it speak to us now? Does it have something to say? Can we connect with the original book? And absent a adaptation, that's never going to happen just because that's, there's just so much coming out now. Looking back at older works only happens if something is a giant, giant 900-foot sign waving the direction of look at this. And that these days is a TV or film adaptation. I mean, Alter Carbon, for example. Mm-hmm. Until that adaptation came out, who was thinking about our Alter Carbon these days? Nobody. Right. I'm not. Well, here's what I would say. Um this Villeneuve version probably won't ever come to fruition. And and the reason is because Dune's very hard to make. It's been tried to be made many times. It um, has. When it was most successfully made, it was a huge flop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and only has a, uh, a res- love by a small minority of film film watchers like most people don't watch dune and say great movie most people say what the fuck what a big piece of shit and and the thing is is it's not a piece of shit it's the book but a book compressed and shoved into film medium and think of how difficult this is why the um, uh, it's time to talk about the weirding modules okay okay here's here's the here's the story on the weirding modules there are so many aspects of the book that are untranslatable to film. Uh, you know, if you think about, if you guys have ever seen that movie, My Dinner with Andre, this yeah. is not a film that is often repeated. <laughs> you know, it's very easy to film. You just get it's two cameras, yeah. and but why not make more of them, right? You just have two people sitting at a table in a restaurant. One comes in, they have a dinner and that's the end of the movie right the one goes away that very easy to film not very commonly filmed two men enters one man leaves exactly that's much easier i mean beyond thunderdome very easy to film in a certain sense it's got story beats it's got travel it's got these characters it's got a big baddie it's got a little baddie right it's got a you know a powerful woman it's got a uh hog fuel it's got all sorts of great stuff however my Dinner with Andre, much cheaper, much lower budget, um, is designed for film. It's a stage play put on film, right? This is a novel. And novels like this are not, were not designed to be filmed, right? The, Herbert isn't tapping away at his keyboard saying, boy, when they make the movie of this, it's going to be so great. Unlike Harry Potter, which I believe is is much more influenced by film than it is by uh, a lot of other fantasy novels prior to it. 
a lot of other fantasy novels prior to it were much more influenced by Tolkien, uh, you know, in, in that we're trying to be Tolkien. The way her film, her films or Rowling's books are written, they're actually scenes that can be filmed, right? There's this sequence and there's this sequence and then there's the this sequence. It's it, it sequences. Pieces. Whereas Dune has themes that are rich and deep and mostly about psychology or uh, discipline or loyalty or love and what is the weirding way? This is just one tiny little thing that shows up in the book as a theme, right? The weirding way is uh, the way Jessica taught her son how to control the muscles of his body so that he could become a, a, a specialized athlete in a certain sense, that he could eventually learn to transmute uh, materials uh, that are poisonous to him. Um, very hard to translate that to film. Uh, you could have a, you could do that as a film. You get two people in a yoga room, get them down on the yoga mats, and they talk about how their, you know, their chakras need to be aligned, and uh, you, you know, you give the sense of heat, and you give the sense of control, and you could do a, um, what was that, a series? What's a series of cuts that shows progression? What's that called? My Montage. Montage. You could do a montage showing them getting better. This is very hard to show um, a whole, you know, units of armies doing this over long periods of time. So what the weirding way is in the film is immediately Stilgar gets grabbed by Jessica and she's got him by the throat. He's totally at her, uh, under her control. And he says, you have the weirding way, <laughs> right? And then they've got this whole explanation for why these people are special, why these people are a threat to the emperor in a way that's not clear, why they're a threat to the baron that's not clear if you don't explain. Well, it's the new army, and they have right at the beginning of the film an explanation uh, The uh, the... Uh, Third State Guild's navigator comes in in his in his train, right? There's all these other, I guess, second grade, second grade, second level Guild navigator. One with a broom, by the way. On the way out, did you see him with the broom? Yeah, cleaning up behind. Yeah, he's doing a really <laughs> shitty job of cleaning up as he goes. Like it's like a token effort. And there's a big he pile of piss level. underneath. Like they just pissed all over. That the, the tank is full of urine or something and they just pissed all over the place and then they walk out they back out right um that uh, that whole scene is there to explain how this movie can be set in motion right and the amp the the the, the um navigator says we've just folded space from x many machines on x why is that in the movie he's making small talk right so he's making small talk and then he says you are transparent what are you doing? What's your plan on uh, for our uh, fuel station in <laughs> on Arrakis? And the emperor inst immediately just spills his guts, like like he's under compulsion, right? And he says, um, uh, "The duke is a threat. He's training a new army. They have some new technology. We don't understand it." Um, that's you the me. the whole yeah. premise of making this a filmable film. Uh, it's not like I'm I've directed a lot of films myself, but my understanding is you have to have 
a lot of things done to, in order to set the pieces in motion. And in order to set this film in motion, you really have to have a through line explaining what the fuck's going on. So all that shit heavy loaded at the beginning, that's all these scenes that are not in the book are just designed to do that. And you can't have right. a bunch of yoga mats out and Paul, like he, tri there's a scene that again is not in the book, but is a great scene. And it's super well written where Paul's standing in front of a bunch of hundred Fremen warriors. And he says, uh, Lodar, uh, kick this stone. It's your hardest stone. And he kicks it. And he says, punch it. And he punches it. And he says, yell at it. Right? That, 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 that's hilarious. It's awesome. Yell at it. It's wonderful, right? And then he takes that and he says, now step back. And he, he uses a word and it explodes. Now, if you think of what, what good filmmaking should be, they saw Star Wars. Everybody saw Star Wars. Wow, they have laser swords. Now, how many films were made in the wake of Star Wars that did stuff just like that, right? They they get some sort of gimmick item. Uh, there's a movie called Krull, which the whole thing is like some boomerang, right? Krull, Krull where the video game was better than the movie. Right. So yeah. they're, they're, what they did was they said, okay, we need to we need to have a gimmick that'll sell the toys, right? Because uh, the, they won't market it, this movie without with all the coloring books and toys. But we're not going to compromise. So what do they do? They come up with something that actually is in the book, which is uh, how the voice can control people. And it's well done. There's a, that scene straight from the movie, uh, straight from the book is in the movie with, with um, Paul and uh, Jessica, you know, using the yeah. voice on the on the dudes uh, who are flying them to their death. And and there's a scene later on in the battle, uh, you know, the battle scenes that, yeah, I guess they're not the greatest battle scenes ever, whatever, um, where Paul uh, he sees some guy accidentally say, Muad'Dib, there's something wrong with my wording module, right? <laughs> and, and the word Muad'Dib is a killing word. And Paul turns yes. turns to the guy, turns to us, and he's realizing his godhood or whatever. And then at the end, it all comes together. Where that even, I think that guy, even it's the same actor, says, Wadib no longer needs the wording module. Oh no, it's Usul no longer needs the wording needs module. Needs the wording module. Right? Yes. And then Rain. And right. we don't need book two. We don't need book three, or as in Dune Messiah or any. This is a perfect film. <laughs> it's my contention. It is. The adaptation of Dune, full stop, end of story. I think we've stunned Marissa to silence. She hasn't said anything in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Marissa, you're up. Well, on the movie, I am... Anything. You've been quiet oh. this episode. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually watch a lot of movies, so every single actor and director you guys have mentioned has gone like right over my head. Like I don't even know what you guys are talking about half the time. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, but it's, it's good. It's it's fascinating, but yeah, I can't I can't get the uh, you know, I can't link anything in there. TV and movies are not my thing. Well, you did see the film and you you did, I did. you didn't hate it, right? No, I loved it. I always watch stuff you guys recommend. Like I do watch a little the odd little things, but I'm very selective with what I watch, so I don't know the actors and stuff. Have you read any of the uh, follow-up um uh, stories, um, any of the books by Brian Herbert and so forth? 
I haven't read anything past Dune yet. My I, recommendation I, I, is don't. I, 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 just finished, that. <laughs> I just finished doing this side because I was bored and I wanted to listen to audiobook and I happened to have an audiobook and I was listening to it and I mean I've reread Dune a number of times over the years, including for this podcast. I had not reread Dune Messiah in many years, and I was really surprised at some of the things I found and some of the things that everybody seems to have forgotten. So I'm gonna mention this yeah, companion thing I told you about. So Donald D. Palumbo came up with a Dune Companion, characters, places, and terms, and Frank Herbert's original six novels. And it's basically it's got definitions, all these things, it's got a couple essays. It's Interesting, and so I went to look up something after I read the book, and I didn't find it there. So, in early in Dune Messiah, which is all talking about, oh, how are we going to overthrow Paul? Basically, is the plot of this book. One of the uh, one one of the Benny uh, Talaxi, those are the people that make the goal. Is they talk they talk about Paul and the uh, and the fact that he's a quizzesaric. They mention outright that oh yeah, we once made it uh, a quizzesaric, but we had to kill him. And I, I was listening to that. I was, wait, wait, what? I had to rewind and listen to that again. And listen to that sequence. It's like, they had. So Paul wasn't even the first Quidditch Hydrock. I'm not even counting counting that count. That was a failed one. So apparently there was one before. If he failed, he got killed. And this never gets mentioned in the rest of the book. It's not mentioned in this Dune Companion. I can barely find it online. So it's like, did everyone forget? That in Dune Messiah, the Benny Talaxu apparently cre- had created Quizzes Hadrak in the past, and everyone mm. just forgot about this. Well, well, for the rest well, of the what, series? what the what the Quizzes Hadrak is is also the title of Book Three, right? The Prophet. It's a prophet, and in in our own human history, there have been many such prophets, right? Joseph Smith is a prophet. Right, <laughs> right. But um, Jesus gets- was a prophet who uh, had to be killed, right? But we know who those people are. I mean, it just seemed weird to me that, and because it's not even in the Duke Companion. If you go to the the entry on Quizzat's Hadarak, uh, let me pull this up here. Um, they just talk about Paul, and just like they don't even mention that the fact that the Benny Talaxu actually had made one. It's like, well, why not? It's actually there. I mean, they only talk about Quizzat's Hadarak, meaning to shortening the way. In Chogobasca, the goal of the Benny Jesuit breeding program was to quiz us how to direct a male Benny Jesuit whose organic mental powers would transcend space and time. Lady Jessica felt their son Paul Atreides might be the quiz us how to direct Dune. Fine, but what about the program in Dune Messiah? Because this book goes through the first six books, so it's like, did everyone forget that the that there was another quiz us how to direct at some point? It just seemed really, it seems like a really weird, random thing in this book that no one else seems to have remembered from the, the whole rest of Dune. It's like, okay. I mean, there's so, there's so much that we talked about. This is such a big universe, so much stuff thrown into it that I just find it odd that this little thing seems to have not been picked up by anybody anywhere. It's like a, it's like a lost thread of Dune, unless it's, unless there's something in the Bright Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson books that I'm, don't know about, but it seems like it could be like one of those little lost threads of Dune that just never get picked up See, again anywhere. That's the kind of passion that makes people interested in the story, right? The fact that th- those tiny little details are there, and they're left for you. Uh, this whole... I mean, I'm looking at the actual appendix again. There's uh, yep. an entry for a, 
uh, what does it say? It was um, it was a uh, uh, a flying Dutchman of space mentioned, right? It's the name of a ship. Why is that in here? <laughs> they literally yeah, because because he liked he liked the idea. He loved the idea and that passion of him putting putting it in, right? I mean, uh, in the in the book, I don't think dates are ever mentioned. I, they talk about years ago, right? They don't talk about it's the year ten thousand nine ninety one or whatever. It, it is mentioned in the book, but the, here's the here's the thing that the movie gets wrong. The move the movies implies that it's the year 10,191 AD, but the book makes it kind of clear that that's only, it's 10,191 years after the machines have been overthrown. So it's actually much later AD than that. But yeah. what the actual it's, number it's, is... The encyclopedia, they actually trace the history from 1980 to <laughs> the time. And how many years is it to... I. My books are in storage. I can't tell you. Um, I, I got to say, though, one th- one thing about this, this may be another reason why this is so compelling and so generative, is that we get uh, we get glimpses, we get hints, but we don't get things fully unfolded. I mean, have have, have, have any of you read uh, Neil Stephenson? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he tells you everything. I mean, he, he's a he's a giant. He's the art of the info dump. I mean, he's good at it. But you don't leave. You know, you don't leave. Um, like uh, Anathem thinking, oh, I, w- I wonder what happened to that one level because you already know what happened to that level. He told you. you know, um, but here, instead, you get the Flying Dutchman in space, or you get shown. You barely hear anything about it. But by the way, in the in the in the uh, National Lampoon version, it's Noam Chomsky. <laughs> <laughs> the Noam Chomsky. You get this hint, as as Paul mentioned, of the Benning Twilights who grew was its high rock Whoa, they did what? And you you want to follow. So first of all, Paul, go write that story. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, the, that's the issue, right? I, I, it, it I, is... I think the Herbert Anderson estate might be unhappy if I wrote a Dune. Herbert maybe, Anderson. Maybe if I, put on AO3, I like that it's the right. Anderson estate now, too. <laughs> They're continuing. Well, they, they both kind of the like legacy. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I was going to explain why, uh, why uh, Jesse is completely wrong about the learning modules. Um, but... <laughs> If I'm going to do that, I want to talk about the other books, including the non Okay, go books. for it. Um, one of the... So you go back to 100 years ago. There's a British historian named Toynbee. Who was, at that time, people were trying to figure out grand systems that would explain all of culture. And this is where you've got people trying to explain all of myth and all of religion. And Toynbee is one of the guys who wants to explain all of history. And his big thesis ends up being challenge and response that different societies get hit with certain challenges and they respond in ways that drive them forward, drive history forward. So it's a pretty basic idea, but it's a, it's a powerful thesis. Okay, flash forward to the 60s, and this is a huge theme for Herbert. This shows up in a lot of his stories. In fact, maybe his best post-Dune novel, The Dasadi Experiment, is all about that. You cram it, if you haven't read it, it's about cramming a bunch of people overcrowded into this one city, and then as an experiment, they ramp the conditions up, making them more and more stressful until the whole thing explodes. That's a short version of the book. Um, and so there's that idea, challenge and response. Push hard on something, and then they, they respond back. They might die, but they might be creative. I mean, if you watch Babylon 5, this is what the shadows think. Mm. And, and here in Dune, it's explicit from the start that this is why the Fremen are such great fighters. 
because they've been challenged by this horrific environment and they respond. And this is why the solar car are such great fighters. Yep. Because right, they, because Secundus is a crappy place. I just exactly. realized uh, from what you were saying, Brian, that that's that's interesting. The Vorlons are the Democrats. <laughs> The shadows yeah. of the Republicans, <laughs> and the solution is to get out from under both of them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. James mentioned uh, apparently getting in arguments with uh, uh, blanking the guy's name, uh, like Garibaldi, um, who said, "You know, maybe the shadows have a point." They, um, they do, and so and the Vorlons are, you know, they're all cryptic and shit, but they're not your friend, right? They're your parents, according to the shadows. Yeah, but. Uh, but this, but this is this is why the Fremen are are so are such great fighters, and this is what comes up again and again in the book is the idea of replicating this process, and this is what happens to Paul. I mean, because Paul begins as a pretty privileged kid. I mean, he's a prince, um, and the stresses he goes through help build him into someone who's much more effective and much better. The Bene Gesserit know this. And they deliberately create these conditions in order to make people tougher and stronger, which is why Paul's mother was the uh, Reverend uh, Mother's serving wedge, right. deliberately reducing them, deliberately stressing right. them out. And this shows up in the in later books uh, in in God Emperor of Doom. This is what uh, I mean. The Emperor, con- the giant worm guy, confesses this to the woman who will kill him, um, Sonia, Sophia. Um, he takes her into the desert and explains that unless you apply this horrible pressure to the human race, unless you squeeze and squeeze, if we can quote your flying baron, mm-hmm. the human race will grow soft and won't expand and it'll be killed off in a couple of centuries to come. And that theme occurs throughout the all six books. It's a consistent theme. And eventually completely misses that. Which is why the Sadr car, when they show up, they look weird, but they don't look scary, because we don't know that background. Oh, there's which a is scene why- where he throws, one Sardaukar throws two, uh, uh, you know, uh, Atreides guys with his arms, no problem. Uh, they, 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 he's, not, he's not a great filmer of action battle sequences. I, oh, I get but, that. But, but, but that, that could have been set up. When you speak about uh, filming this and how you could film it, there's a long tradition of filming exactly this. There's the training montage from martial arts films, mm-hmm. for example. Um, there's, again, a lot of, uh, in war films, in military films, there's the montage of training a unit. I mean, this could easily have been done, but I think Lynch, and, and probably more to the point, uh, De Laurentiis, just... That wasn't an idea that occurred. Well, to them. there's again that is in the film, but at the beginning, remember, there's the the fit him with uh, fit him with the weirding module, Doctor Yui, and then he says, um, uh, "Activate a fighter," and then this machine comes down out of the ceiling, and uh, it's a gorgeous machine that's not in the book, but it's a. Gorgeous, I was going to say gorgeous. Luke, but it's actually Paul. Right. Fights uh, it, right? <laughs> yeah. And then that's that's paralleled by the back end when he's training the uh, the uh, Fedakin, right? The, yeah, but but it barely touches on it. And the 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 machine, the fighting machine, shows up in either the second or third book when um, uh, Paul's sister uses it to train on and goes. To- that's a, that's the second book. Because, yeah. they, because I just read in Jane Messiah, yeah, because she pushes it to too high a level and Paul and chastises. Yeah, don't do that, you idiot. You can you get killed. And and he admits that he himself, they pushed it high, yeah, which is kind of like 
yeah. points to Aaliyah's point. Yeah. No, this this could have this could have been a a, a a great theme, but I think that theme is just it's just not there. I I I do want to ask you guys if what you think about uh, Denis Villeneuve uh, and what his Dune could be like. What have you What have you heard? What have you What do you anticipate? I've, I haven't heard much, but I've seen Villeneuve's other movies, particularly things like Arrival. So I expect there will be interesting visuals, excellent music. He he probably will go to the well in. And uh, tap tap into uh, some of his favorite actors. I, I expect it to be a a moody piece, rather than. I mean, I haven't seen him do big action sequences either. Um, well, Rival so, had, Rival had a, a, a tremendous sense of scale. Yeah, it had mm. good scale. When you uh, when our heroine first appears at the giant space where they've got the ship. Um, and the and the sense of the interior the ship being being large. I think mean, yeah, yeah, and, and, and believe it or not, twenty forty nine. The image of that of that Las Vegas covered by sand makes me hopeful that yeah he can do dark and and also there's other scenes in Blade Runner twenty forty nine like the like the dry farm. But I think he can get the stark landscapes to do him right. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm curious where they actually will actually film yeah. it. That worries me because the movie was, was such a mess in so many ways, um, and I don't know if it's because I mean I've seen I think all of his films now, and I don't know if it's because he had to deal with the uh, the huge problems of trying to do a sequel to a great film. He also didn't write it; he just directed. Yeah. Directed. Well, but who's they're doing the screenplay for the new movie? Ryan Herbert. Yeah. Really. Yeah, so I'm I'm concerned. Uh, uh, honestly, I don't think it can get made just because if you think of like if you're doing Dune the book, it's impossible. It, it can't be done. It's been done once. It was impossible then. If they try to do like if you uh, if you take the medium and no, change wait, it wait. to another medium, you say like uh, look at look at the Hobbit. Right? They I didn't even bother watching after the first Hobbit movie. Um, because that's not, they're doing it wrong, right? They, they're doing it wrong. First of all, that that book shouldn't be a film because you don't need 13 dwarves in a film, right? It's just too many. It's like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is se- almost five dwarves too many. You you got too many dwarves. But at least there, you know, you've got the cute names. Here we got Snow White and the 13 Dwarves times three, and uh, I don't, I don't even want to see it. But if you, if you think of like that is taking uh, certain kind of liberties with the book, but it's also just not the book. Where's the poetry, right? What is so amazing about the Dune book is it is unfilmable in a way that Jodorowsky's film showed that it would be, right? The fact that it can't get, it couldn't get made. Um, you have these, it's, it's the to dream the impossible dream is the film the impossible film. Um, how many actors are needed just to do a bare minimum is astounding number of actors with lines. I, I, it cannot I, I, be I filmed listen, in yeah. under three hours and be better than what we got. It's yeah, just not impossible. It's out. just impossible. Yeah. Right? It won't and, be three hours. It'll be, uh, it's two movies. Oh, and I was reading on Wikipedia, take it for what it's worth, it's not that Brian Herbert's doing the screenplay. So Eric Roth will write the screenplay. Maybe that's been updated since then, but yeah. it doesn't. He's definitely working on it, right? 
Yeah. He's been tweeting so. about like working on the screenplay and seeing it as it's evolving. So I guess he's got some kind of creative input. Yeah. And that's uh, so that that worries me. The I think it is possible. Um, and one of the great world novels of all time is War and Peace, and uh, there is a two-hour film of it mm-hmm. uh, with Oliver. And it, I hate it. It's it's a terrible film. It makes almost no sense because the book is enormous. It's longer than Dune. It has a bigger plot, and more characters, and the two-hour movie. I mean, and they did a lot of things wrong. They cast the casting errors are bad. So the Soviets did a film, and it's eight hours, and it's really good. Um, it really does a good job. Uh, they yeah, get, but the, again, that's a Soviet film. Soviet film is different than like we're talking a Hollywood production, right? They don't do long like uh, if you're if you're really like a crazy crazy movie maker who made a ton of money for the studios they'll let you do something they'll let you have your your big budget uh, flop but <laughs> this is a very expensive film to make if if well, you made it real right so Blade Runner that's why the Blade Runner sequel worries me because it didn't do well. Financially, no. Yeah, because they were supposed to make more movies after that, and yeah, they've given up on that plan. And and, and the the other thing is, is Lynch put such a stamp on the visualization of things, and not just Lynch, all the people who made the original film, that when you're watching the miniseries, what they basically did is, okay, they went they went with an orange palette, we're gonna go with blue, right? Or you know, they have these these scenes where they're ripping off the dialogue but doing it worse right just like they 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 literally use the same beginnings of the sentence and then they change the ending of the sentence and obviously a lot of these sentences are from the the book but you know when they're spun into the film and then they're respun into the miniseries the the legacy of of the previous incantations Incarnation. Um, yeah, I think incantations is even better. <laughs> that's, that's a sorcery, Jesse. Yes, the power of the word, right? <laughs> the, the the previous versions cast a, a long shadow, and anybody who's cast as as Paul will either they're either going to have to get a twelve year old right and start filming and try and film all his scenes before he turns fifteen, and then. Wait two years. I mean, it could de- it could be filmed. I'm not saying it can't be filmed, but it can't be filmed as a Hollywood movie. Could, Russian movies are fucking weird, right? They're 17 hours long. <laughs> they're, uh, or Soviet movies. I'm not sure Russian movies are still this way. No, no usually they're, they're they're not. I'm just saying that it's formally possible uh, to do that, and it has a great reputation. Um, now, in terms of, of production, this is you know the, the practical politics of making a movie in Hollywood. This is what worries me. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Is it, 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 they can't get uh, this is yeah. absolutely going to not work. Is what I, my I, prediction I, I, is. I, I, I think I think they should do what they did with Alter Carbon and do a ten episode series yes, uh, on you Netflix. Do a TV show, absolutely. Yeah, uh, HBO or whatever version of you know Netflix. Fine, they, they could do I it. Think that, I mean, you, you look at Alter Carbon or you look at um, the uh, Amazon uh, film of uh, uh, Man in the High Castle. Um, yeah. You know, which really took its time and and didn't even finish the book. Um, I mean, that's. I think in many ways that's where it is. The problem is, um, I think the Sci-Fi Channel would rather do Sharknado Five um, than. <sighs> people sigh, like sigh, it. People sigh, like it. That's sigh, sigh. I mean, or you know, you've got 
I mean, Netflix or Amazon could do it. Um, so maybe that's what we should look for. Yeah. But, but I, I, I mean, Sicario is, an, is actually a really complex film. It's a good movie. Huh? Yes, yes, Sicario is really good. Yeah, it doesn't answer all its questions. It leaves a lot open. Um, and I, I think Arrival is terrific. Um, so maybe, maybe this will happen. What about a um, like an HBO budget, like a Westworld Game of Thrones version, where you like have yeah. Fremen characters and have the whole world like played out over yep. six seasons? I could watch that. <laughs> ah, absolutely, do the three books, do three seasons, be great. Yeah. Like, if you if you like it, if you like it, there are more books. I mean, you if Ryan Herbert's wrapped up with with this, he has. He and uh, Anderson have the rights to those later books and those pre books. I mean, I mean, I mean, the, the potential is there. I mean, we talk about all we talk about all these cinematic universes and these like Star Wars and Star Trek and Game of Thrones and now the exp- the expanse, which kind of was on life support, but now we're getting out of season. Dune's been sitting here since the 1960s waiting for waiting for this sort of thing it just has to be grasped and people have to do it and this way people will actually get back into the book and into the books and rediscover the joys i mean we spent four episodes here to do it yeah it's weird because it has all those cultures and it has all the secrets and all the stuff that would make it work as like a um tv series Mm -hmm. you could like play out so many storylines yeah there's such depth here just waiting for somebody to Get off their encounter suited butts to oh. buy up on five and do it. Um, <laughs> I, I think, yeah. I but I I I would still say, you know, as much as I love the 1984 Dune adaptation, the book needs nothing else. You can read the book and be amazed. I, and if, I agree. If you can read the book and enjoy it. You could be my friend. I, I agree, but we but as have I something before, strong in common. Getting getting people to actually make that investment takes time and effort, and these days that means putting putting it on the phosphor screen for people to see first. I, I don't I don't dispute that that's that's uh, a good way. I, I read the book after watching the movie. Oh, I never even told you how I got into the book. So, so I read I read the book at age fifteen. But here's the funny thing: in 1983, 84, I was reading Starlog. Remember Starlog? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and and. This was this was for listeners don't know. This was basically a science fiction magazine of the time came out every month talking about old science. It's fiction It's like a film uh, oriented science fiction magazine. Very film oriented, and they started talking about the film version of Dune and talking about this and that and oh how Willie is really a Harkonnen. I got spoiled for the book spoilers before I actually even read the book. I didn't actually get to see the movie because it disappeared in theaters. But after reading all those articles in Starlog and seeing these still shots and all this stuff, it's like, okay, I need to read Dune. And I did. And I fell in love with it. It wasn't until a few years later that I actually got to see Dune on a screen by that time. But so so the, the stills and all the stuff about the movie primed me to love the book. And then I got to see the movie afterwards. There is uh, one more adaptation. Um, obviously, there's the uh, n- multiple narrator version of the audiobook that's uh, done by Audible, I think. Um, with yeah, that's the one I've been listening to instead of uh, yeah, straight up one. Uh, it's not as good as the Guadal, I think, but it's it's okay. It's okay. It, it's still the book. It's just I don't think it needs that extra production. And Guadal is just he's so smooth. It's beautiful. 
Um, however, uh, there's a 2010 uh, um, music video starring Christopher Walken as a wonderful dancer. Have you guys <laughs> seen this? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. I, never, I never even like realized it was a there's Dune lyrics in there. <laughs> That's funny. What does it show? Come forward and get your teeth smoked. Word. Don't be shocked by my tone of voice. Check out my new weapon, weapon of choice. <laughs> you can blow with this. Oh, sorry. You can blow with this, or you can blow with that. You can blow with this, or with this, or you can blow with that. Walk without rhythm, it won't attract the worm. So. This is not obviously a straight-up adaptation of Dune, but it's certainly influenced heavily by it. And uh, I don't know that they would, if if the lyrics were slightly different, uh, the sampling, the the, it's I guess it's not sampling. It's just you know, beat uh, effects. I'm not a music guy, but um, I, th- I just think of the wonderful dance that uh, Christopher Walken gives in this film or short video, music video, he does walk without rhythm. (laughs) There's something wonderful about how this crazy um, book line and the power of of these words are so influential that, you know, what is that, 1965 to 2010, that's a hell of a gap. Uh, Still influencing. Okay, first of all, I just I just shared a Ars Technica discussion about that. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. I just want to go back to the uh, computer aspect because there's one more adaptation. Um, back in the day, about a decade ago, do you all remember Second Life? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's an embarrassing thing to look at in many ways right now. Um, it's supposed to have been world-changing. And uh, in Second Life, there were at least three different Dune reenactment levels. So the, someone went to a great deal of trouble to build up uh, Arrakis. Hmm. And you, know, you had you know, desert, you had shield wall, you had the interior of the castle. And then you could pick up. Um, so in Second Life, you were represented by an avatar. You could add to your avatar a still suit, uh, <laughs> a crisp knife. And from what I could tell, I poked into it a bit. They had scheduled reenactments where people would gather. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I I once was enough into Second Life that I wrote for a magazine devoted to Second Life called Prim Perfect. So that oh, was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, in a different world. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, that makes me think. I mean, the 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 computer games for Doom, the strategic ones, are great, but I could easily imagine doing something total VR game, right? I mean, that's Marissa. Oh yeah, Marissa, oh, yeah. you put now on. Now I'm the, interested. <laughs> you want to do an adaptation of Dune? Uh, put yourself in the role of Paul. Um, <laughs> and you say, I am God. You you have all these. You 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 put the li- the drink to your lips virtually, right? And then. Uh, you have these yeah. weird freakouts, and then you see Chani. Oh, my love girl! Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then you get into the knife fight with Sting. Like, Come on! Imagine if you're like in the VR thing, and every now and then, like your vision just warps, and you start seeing like prescient visions and stuff in the background. Yeah, absolutely, game. perfect. Absolutely, yeah. be perfect. It That'd is perfect. So it, that is the that is the appropriate use of the media. The film is it was in uh, it was unfeasible, infeasible at the time. 
It's still infeasible. The fact that they got one made is amazing. Um, but it, it, here's one of the things I want to point out. that um, I do a lot of shows, right? Uh, almost 500 podcasts. Nobody loves every episode. I, 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 there's even episodes that I don't like of my, my show. But there's more interest in Dune. And it's not because I'm such a great podcast host or anything. It's the book. It's the book. It has nothing to do mm-hmm. with... Right? And, and this is independent of hype. Right? The hype machine for Dune is long gone. This is, you know, uh, Luke Burridge is, uh, was just saying, have you put out the latest uh, book three of the Dune show? Because he's really interested in listening to it. There's a, uh-huh. uh, there's a uh, great YouTube channel. I say great. I don't watch it much, but I, I have watched it. Uh, I don't have that much time, I guess. But there's a lady on um, YouTube called Comic Book Girl. She might be Comic Book Girl something else. She has green hair and weird shaved uh, head sides and big arm sleeve tattoo. A comic have, book girl with green hair? Oh uh, yes, comic book girl. She <laughs> she does happens. like uh, it's a it's kind of a book and TV and movie. But she did a whole series on uh, her Dune book club, and I'm like I don't normally watch her stuff because it's a bit too TV based and stuff like that. But when she did started doing her Dune books, I'm like holy crap, she's a genius, right? That's the thing is. Everybody who likes Dune becomes hyper-intelligent when talking about Dune because they're so passionate about it, right? Challenge and response. Yeah. This is is a real-deal book that does something profound to the reader, and it creates a passion that is not artificial. It's 100% real. That, you know, Mm -hmm. people can can gin themselves up into uh, uh, fake excitement over lots of stuff, right? Oh, the latest book out this week is... Right? Uh, that's all bullshit. <laughs> this is one Jeff, for the Jeff. ages. Jesse, you used to do lots of uh, new books episodes here on SFL really Audio. Just... Oh, I, I never did lots of them. But the problem is, is I shit all over almost everything, right? So it's it's I don't want to do that. I don't... I, you know... I, of the of the last hundred episodes, maybe three have been books from the twentieth, twenty first century. Yeah, you have, yeah, you've gotten, yeah, you've left all in the way, and you're not much of a for a new book person. Well, I, I just don't, I don't think, I, I think most most of it's artificial, right? Um, so I'm much more excited about doing a Green Mantle show. Uh, Brian, you want to do a show on Green Mantle sure. <laughs> by John Buchan? Yes. <laughs> It's a, it's about the the Russians invading Turkey. <laughs> Come on, guys, let's get excited, right? Um, it's a spy book from World War One. Everybody's excited about, right? No, I, that's what I'm excited about. I'm not excited about the latest uh, Hugo winner novel because uh, you know this book won the Hugo and the Nebula, but that's not why I love it. That's not why I love it. It's because it's a great book. Sometimes that gets acknowledged, and sometimes it's just, uh, you know, there's not a great year, or not, it's very political, or, or maybe that was the best of a bunch of bad books. So, I'm I'm very pleased to have a chance to revisit Dune with you. It's a, it's a fabulous novel. I agree. 
Um, is that the end? I don't know. I think that's the end. It doesn't have to be <laughs> is the end. Is that the end? Could be the end. But there's no that's sequels. I guess that is the end. <laughs> because it sounded like it sounded like you were building up this crescendo of the end. So no, I'm like just it. talking. <laughs> it, it sounded like you came up with a nice coda there. So yeah. And besides, Wait. it's twelve o'clock anyway. All right. So I guess it was the end. We didn't even um, <clears throat> go into the appendices. <laughs> well, um, come on. That was just the excuse. That was an excuse to talk about. <laughs> that was the trigger. Yeah. <laughs> the trigger for the movie talk. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the appendices here are very slim. They're not uh, particularly interesting, I don't think. Um, they are background for this, for the book. But really, it's it's uh, it's a great film. You should, you should uh, maybe I'll track down <laughs> the um, extended version some, somewhere and send it all to you. I think the appendices were kind of uh, almost funny, like the um, basically just like shitting on the Benny Gesserit for being a little dumb about certain things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they they shouldn't have been in the book proper because they're they're off yeah. track, right? And the uh, the religions of space travel! Exclamation mark. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And all this is published by Chilton. That's still amazing. Well, um, they they saw the power of it, right? Yeah, nobody else did. I mean, that's that's just one of those great, you know, success stories of starting from nothing. And, and uh, well, look what it did for Chilton too. Uh, sold a fuck ton of books, right? Um, but it it also tells you that when you break the mold, people people don't people want the mold, right? They want more of the same. They uh, that is the they, publishers. They say they, they they say they don't, but they do. It's true. The publishers like, absolutely want. I mean, they tell authors what to write, right? I don't know about that. Oh but, yes, they but, do, Paul. <laughs> they totally do. Once you've got a book, they say, "Can we get a series out of this? Can we get three books out of this?" And that's where you get a whole bunch of shit. That, that's a little different than saying, "Oh, write a book about X, Y, or Z." I well, mean, that's been done too. I mean, yeah, but not 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 so much now. I mean, you're talking about yeah, you know, you're talking about the days, you know, like when John Campbell would get Isaac Asimov to write Nightfall, but that's and, a different story and, entirely. And that kicked off a whole genre. Uh, you know, that was the golden age, as the people at Extra Life Podcast books. say. For some people, I'm I'm working with my third book publisher now. I mean, I have to turn in the manuscript in a few weeks, and every publisher has had a lot of ideas, um, some of which I couldn't resist. Uh, and I've had two different publishers come to me with book ideas. Wow. In fact, the first book got, became the second edition just because the publisher said. They're looking at the numbers. And they're, they're seeing this is selling. This is what we need. I mean, that's what you do when you're in business. You you say, look, we're making a lot of money selling these things. Let's sell more of those things, right? Where do we get those? Well, we got to get them, get them from suppliers. And th- that's the book business. That's how the book business is. Paul, you said something like, for some people, the the golden age of science fiction is for some people. I don't think that that's it. You know, I I mean, we might do some revisionist history, but there is a period of time where they called a certain period the golden age. Whether you thought it was the golden age, but it really was called the golden age. Like, you know, like the dirty 30s was called the dirty 30s in the 50s or whatever. I don't know when it was called that. 
But um, whether whether you think it was a good age or not, it was called that, right? So just giving it the dignity of of what everybody, exp- you know, like you say, now we're in a new golden age. Uh, that will be determined, I guess. Well, well, yeah, you, you really can't determine a golden age when you're in a golden age. That just it, it's, it's only with the paradox of time in the past to realize, like, oh man, yeah, that stuff was really great back in that time because we had all this and this and this and this was coming out. It's kind of hard to see a golden age when you're in the middle of it. Uh, There's a Wikipedia entry for it, so it must be real. (laughs) The first golden age of science fiction often recognized in the United States is a period from 1938 to 1946. Oh, that's not what I would have classified it as. Oh, I guess there's other golden ages. Um, But certainly with um, the rise of Campbell and Astounding and it goes into the 50s i mean there there is a golden age of of magazines too right like there's a massive explosion after world war one after world war ii of science fiction magazines and there wasn't a massive explosion of other kinds of magazines um right right they they, they list they list two golden ages here yeah that 47 to 59 which is the the one you're just talking about the philip k dick era well, that well, there's a, the rise of the paperback, right? Um, the paperback after, after, fifties yeah, and sixties, I mean, right? Late fifties, early sixties, and it's it's huge, right? That's where most authors are making their money is writing paperbacks. Yeah, it changes the emphasis from short stories and serials to novels and then series. And then you get a book like Dune, which uh, changes the science fiction genre immensely, just like Lord of the Rings changed the science fiction, uh, the fantasy genre immensely, right? It, it creates a whole new field really of, of, or market, I guess is for, is, is the term. Right. Um, and let's further forward. I think it's, um, uh, the Del Rey's, uh, bring out, um, uh, sort of Shannara, and, in uh, this, yeah, and, and reissuing a lot of fantasy in the seventies that kicked that kicked off the modern age of fan, fantasy that led into the eighties with extruded fantasy product, and then well, I yeah, well, it was a lot of those was just like all the same. Oh, yeah, hero hero discovers he has a destiny, goes off, fights the overlord, oh, yeah. wins, rinse, repeat. And then you got that went into the nineties, and then you got Game of Thrones, and then we went into the grim dark era, which is I think slowly now starting to go back a bit but i have an essay actually coming out this the end of this week about that so mm. by the way um i i don't know where else i'm going to argue uh this because i think we've done shows on it but i there was a, something paul you said uh a, a long time ago on twitter i guess it's not a month ago or something um about uh piracy right uh, we never actually had that conversation. Maybe we should do a show on it, but I don't think you're super enthusiastic about the idea. Wait, no, no, it would be an interesting show to have. I, I'd want to have more than just you and I talking about well, uh, yeah. So one of the things I was, if we ever did that show, I would say is um, never underestimate the power of the demand for a product, right? So once uh, uh, there's this amazing story about how the Tolkien uh, Tolkien didn't want his books published in paperback, right? And Ace the Don Don Walheim looked at the law and they found a loophole and said, ha 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 ha, we can publish it without your permission and without paying you royalty. Well, 
that's not yeah. without paying you royalties. We can publish it. And um, so they released their version of Lord of the Rings, which is just the Lord of the Rings, in paperback, commissioned art for the cover, sold it, did really well with it for a brief period of time, and then uh, somehow they convinced Tolkien... <laughs> to release an authorized paperback edition, which gave him fuck tons of money. Yep. And that piracy on the behalf of uh, the audience, not on, and obviously for Ace's coffers, but more I'm importantly... Not sure that's, I'm not sure that's piracy per se, because they it, were... They called it pirate editions. See, uh, the way I, I work, right, I'll, I'll take your insults. Uh, you can call me a pirate, and I'll... I'm not insulting you. I'm not you. saying you. I'm saying one. You know, people. Say, there was this whole giant thread I saw you you were participating in. I'm not saying you're a bad person or anything. I'm just saying these are a whole bunch of ignorant authors who don't know the history of their own publishing industry, right? Because the way piracy works is there's a demand for something and there's not being supplied, and then that creates a realization within a group who then s s try and deal with it. Sometimes with, as Brian might point out, suppression and pushing down and response, right? Or, I mean, that's what, what, um, what uh, Dune's all about, is getting that supply out. The spice must flow. The words must flow. Tolkien's books must be in put, put in people's hands so they can carry them around in their pockets. Pa paperbacks and pocketbooks, they go together so you can take it on the bus. Nobody... And I saw, I don't, maybe this was on Twitter, I don't know who said it, but it's like, you could, people were saying, you could get hardcover books of Tolkien at the library. You didn't need to get a paperback. And yeah, that's ridiculous. Come on. You're going to get a hardcover book from the library, carry around the Fellowship of the Ring, waiting your turn very patiently while somebody else has it checked out from the library, or are you just going to buy the paperback that's on the shelf right and the thing is is it's in the modern era where we don't have a um a physical copy to steal from the library we can just make a copy of the library book instantly that doesn't deprive anybody who wants to use the paper book at the library of that um i don't care about tolkien's feelings about uh, the wretchedness of paperbacks i want to fucking read his book that's my takeaway. So Dune rules as a paperback creates a whole genre, right? That it wouldn't have done if it just stayed in that original uh, serialization. And yeah, now there's a whole industry based on that. That that's the truth behind piracy. Is it's it's just demand. But 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 there's also but I'm not sure that. And here we here we go. I wasn't going to go go on the show, but I'm especially for. I'm not talking about the Tolkien's, the George R. R. Martins, the big authors. I'm talking about an author, an average size author. I'm not sure that their books being pirated eventually winds up to be a net positive money for. Them. I would. I have not done the studies. Uh, you know, scientifically peer reviewed studies, but I I would bet big 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 money that you're wrong. Here's why. I'm on the piracy websites all the time. I see what's popular, and I see the comments that people are saying. So, uh, guess who's super popular on piracy websites uh, for audiobooks? Wayne June, right? Um, Wayne June's super okay. popular, and the publisher's out of business, right? 
So they're not making any new new stuff. Yeah. I, this is why I'm oh, telling oh, okay. Wayne June oh, he needs oh, to okay. take advantage. It's super g- beneficial to Wayne June that there's this massive interest in his stuff because when he does eventually release his his new product, he's going to make some money. And they Wayne, are Wayne, loving Wayne, kind of- giving him money. That's what they say. The, if you go to the pirate websites, they say, this is so great. I can't wait until I can buy the next one. Yeah, but I'm not sure how true that actually is, because what's the incentive for them to actually so buy anything if it's there for what free? What you're using is is the same logic as, like, if doctors, if doctors uh, don't get... Like, this is the logic of not knowing what the market's actually like. Doctors don't just want to make money. Right? They also want to help people. So you say, what's the incentive to be a doctor if you don't get rich? <laughs> well, well, it's not even that, though. No, it's it's not even that. So let, let, let's 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 take author, Let's take an imaginary author, Alice Alice Beth Chatham. Okay. She she has two she has book two two books out through Tor. You can find her books on the piracy websites, and people do, and people download them, but. If people are doing that and not buying the books through Tor, then Tor's not going to give her a contract for that third book, and she's she's screwed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, who makes money from their publishing? Um, <laughs> I mean, Marissa, you should be waiting in here. But uh, <laughs> what I will tell you, I don't know. I feel like this argument is like so complex, and it's super you have to complex. have like stuff to back up stuff. That you say, you know, and I've seen it play out in like so many different ways online that I'm like, I don't even, I mean, I see both sides and I'm still not sure exactly what the accurate yeah, take so is. <laughs> here's what I would say is, is look to your own experience. When you don't have money, do you buy things? No. When you do no. have money, do you buy things? Yes. Right. <laughs> this yeah. Is, now, when you, when you uh, really like somebody's work, do you hate that person? No. When you really like somebody's work, do you want to help that person? Yes. Are we normal human beings, uh, the most common kind of human being? I would say so. There's probably some really monsters out there who, who say, I, I read your book, Tolkien, and I hope you die. <laughs> there could be a person out there. Or let's see, what, what was the name of the author you said, Paul? The fictional author? Alice Beth Chapman. Alice Beth Chapman? Okay. So Alice Beth Chapman wrote a really good book that I really enjoyed, and her new book's out, and now I'm no longer in the the bottom 1% of, of people, as in young kids, basically. I'm in the top, uh, no, bottom 10%. I've gone up. I have some money now. What do I do with my money? I want more of what I got before. So piracy is not a way pa- of getting pa- stuff for free. It's a way of getting stuff when you don't have any money. Well, wait, but the, 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 I don't know. Again, here we don't have enough data. How many pirates, how many people who, buy, who, who visit pirate websites could actually buy any of the books they're actually pirating? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, and you don't know yeah, either. That nobody just, does studies on That's how I feel as well. There's too much to this that I don't. I just don't well, understand. But, but studies the, the, have been the, the, done the, the, that show show exactly I'm, that. I don't have those at hand, but they do show that. Brian, do you have something? Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. I'm with Marissa on this. This is really, really complex. I mean, uh, I mean I've had my work pirated, which sometimes is really flattering. <laughs> yep. And uh, and 
Other times, I don't know how it translates economically. There are tons of studies into this, looking at piracy across different media. So let's meet a pirate movie. There's a part of a book. Uh, I got in a weird argument with the uh, head of the uh, Motion Picture Association of America, excuse me, the Recording Industry Association of America about this. Um, I didn't kill him. Maybe I should have. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it, it's a really deep and, and complex thing. I just, I, I have to sign off, friends. It's uh, yep. coming one thirty here, and I'm out of time. Um, but if you want to do a show on piracy, um, I'd be happy to be part of that. Oh, cool. Well, well maybe we should do that then. The episode R. Who <laughs> um, call it steal this episode or something? <laughs> <laughs> or pay for this. What about pay for this episode? Because they steal them all anyway. <laughs> uh, I'm not doing it for money, but if if, if you if you really want to uh, give money to somebody, give money to somebody who wants it. I I don't know. Um, yeah. So let's look at the schedule. <laughs> let's see if we can find a spot that is convenient for people. Um, and who want to participate? Um, I, I think it's interesting, Marissa, because you know you're, this is your business, and uh, you don't want to fuck up your business. But um, obscurity is the big problem, right? Yeah, and like, so I don't know if it does fuck up the business. Like, that's what I mean. I just don't know. Like, I'm pretty I've, sure it does. I've dealt with different people who have argued both sides, and and both sides sound totally. Like I get, I, I change my mind all the time on this. I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. Oh no, but that's also true. Oh yeah, and like I am just totally lost. In well, the, it. Like, the, 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 there's uh, like when I was reading the thread, uh, there's some uh, something happened. I guess somebody on t- on the internet got mad about something. What was what instigated it, Paul? Um, because some, because somebody had gone to a pirate website and just found all of their books right. and it had been an author had been dropped by the. It was an author that had been dropped by their publisher, right. so they were really, really, really pissed because <laughs> they, they have no. They have felt that they had not they had lost enough sales that the the publisher decided not to publish any more books because people had pirated them all. Okay, that's, well that's that's, that's actually that the argument should be made backwards, right? Is the other way around? Is is that this is go to the publisher? Look, I'm really popular. Okay, but that that, that but that doesn't give the publisher money. Yes, but it's an indication that they can make money. But, no, but but it's not an indication that they've made money now. But we should probably save this for the pirate yeah, episode. That's true. Yeah, I've actually got to um, go as well. Okay, um, November. For your pirate episode. Yeah, November fourth. November fourth. Yeah, pirate I'll think episode. about if I even have anything to say. It might be one that I just want to listen to. I'm not even sure if I have any strong opinions on this. <laughs> Uh, okay. It. It'll be uh, daylight savings time, I think. So. Yeah. Can you do that? Yeah. Put it on the schedule, boss. Okay. So uh, November fourth, Jesse and Brian and Paul, you want to do this? Of course, I want to do. Okay. This. All right. <laughs> He's in. Well, because you're going to get in trouble. With uh, of course, I'm going to get in trouble, but I also have opinions. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Uh. <laughs> In the first chapter, she says, yeah, so my husband and I, we had to figure out a place we're going to do this. So we had to choose. I inherited a 
40 acres spread for my parents right. and he inherited the 2000 acres spread from his parents. So we had to choose. That was difficult. I'm like, Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Check your privilege. Anybody can yeah. do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, the thing is, is anybody can homestead, especially in Canada. You, you just go out in the middle of the forest and just start building. The problem is, is you're out in the fucking middle of the forest. There's no services. Uh, you're going to be building yeah. with whatever you brought with you. And, uh, it's, pretty fucking hard life good luck getting those amazon packages uh yeah we have trouble with that anyways <laughs> i mean amazon.ca i guess it's not so bad but amazon.com is hard to get shit up here well it's like did i tell you guys about how i met the unabomber's brother no 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 that was fun this is how i learned to google everybody um a uh, a prof at a small college in new york invited me to give a talk down there and I did, and went well. And afterwards, she said, "Hey, let's go to dinner. Do you mind having my husband along?" I'm like, "Of course not." And her last let me name, Google him first. <laughs> see, I, I should have, right? You know, but uh, for her, she was using her her uh, her natal name, so it was you know like Smith, right? And uh, he gets in the car, and I say, "I have no idea who any, you know anything about." He says, "Oh, what do you do with your time?" And he says, "Well, I work to stop the death penalty." Yeah. And I yeah. I do a double take and say, what's well, unusual? How'd you get into that line of work? And he said, well, my name is Kaczynski. And I thought, that's, oh, my goodness, yes. You know, Mom is my brother. Linda here is when they turned him in. And uh, they apparently when they turned him in, they thought that uh, Ted was just mentally ill and would get therapy. And in the 90s, Bill Clinton, among other horrible things, brought back the federal death penalty. Wow. Uh, so they were really surprised. They also got pretty wealthy off the deal. They sold their story to the media. And uh, the guy said, yeah, he would just try and give back to society by stopping the death penalty. Mm. Huh. So at one point, where he was a great guy. I mean, I haven't talked to him for years, but he was fascinating. And, uh, and at one point, I described my house. He said, yeah, we're half off the grid, top of the mountain. He said, ah, when we were kids, Ted and I always wanted a place like that. Like, ah. I didn't need to know that. Oh. <laughs> well, that doesn't make you the Unabomber because you want to be on the countryside. Uh, although, I haven't been taught. I, 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 was, <laughs> I was thinking about doing a show on the Unabomber's manifesto because it's really interesting. Um, I don't know if... I think there was an audiobook on on YouTube of it which would probably allow it to be doable, but... It's also heavy reading in areas, um, but it's fascinating because he's not crazy in every sense. He's crazy in a couple of senses, but he's also dealing with something very real. And it, it actually fits in with what we were talking about last episode. I was doing the show notes for for uh, uh, book three is coming out on Monday, so I was show noting it yesterday. And we were talking about how uh, it's very hard to give up technologies, you know, nukes and uh, Amish and all that stuff. And that's basically his whole thing, right, is um, if we don't do something, we're screwed. Um, this is it's, it's basically Elon Musk's point, except uh, Elon Musk isn't... Well, he is handing out flamethrowers, so maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's just me. Did, were up? you doing the show notes for uh, Dune Book yeah, 3? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking I should have gone back and listened to those episodes because I can't really remember what we talked about. I it's been a while. Myself. I know. <laughs> yeah, it was like really spread out. Yeah, it, it helped me uh, 
a little bit with this, but I, I note in the audiobook um, they uh, they only did the three appendixes, but there's actually uh, four. Uh, the fourth is um, it's like all the names and stuff. Yeah, there's uh, all the characters, who their family is, and then there's a section after the appendix, which is the terminology. Ah. Which is like basically vocab words. Uh, Kitab yeah. al-Ibar, the combined survival handbook religious manual developed by the Fremen of on Arrakis. And uh, mm. la la la, Fremen of cry, cry of grief. La translated as ultimate denial and no, from which you cannot appeal. La 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 la. Lasgun, continuous wave laser projector. Its use is limited in a field generator shield culture because of the explosive pyrotechnics, technically subatomic fusion, created when the beam intersects a shield. So. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and there's cartographic notes for Paul at the very end. Yes, there's a map. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I have to. I, oh yeah, I have to grab my book so I can talk to you about the uh, the book I got. Hold on for a sec. We won't. See if uh, both copies I have here are identical. Ah, here it is. Here it is. The Doom Companion. And I also want to mention a little bit about something that I discovered. I actually listened to Dune Messiah this week, and I want to mention something about that and tying in with this Dune Companion and the limitations of these sorts of books. Well, uh, maybe we should get started. I, I don't think Will's joining us. I haven't heard from him all week. Um, I, maybe he wasn't mm-hmm. even listed. I think Brian might not even been listed on the thingy there. Um, so I'll just check the schedule and see if he was listed. All right. I'm just going to grab some water while you do that. Yep. Be back in a second. After these messages, we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> 